Hey guys, Riley here. Episode 25 is upon us, and it should have been upon us last week, and I apologize for that. I wasn't able to access the laptop that we recorded on because we recorded this episode with Ray Spoon at uh, Press Cafe here in Ottawa, and I just couldn't access it for a week, and that was bad planning on my part. And I, I promise it'll never happen again. I'll never leave you in the lurch like that again. I that That's on me, guys. But anyways, it's a shame that this episode hasn't gone up sooner because it is with Ray Spoon. And if you haven't heard of Ray Spoon, that's on you. You should have. Not only have they written 10 albums and been longlisted for the Polaris Prize multiple times, they've written books, they've toured multimedia pieces about gender, they've accomplished so much in their life already than I could with the next 60 years of my life, which would be how long I would live if I was an average human. It's looking more like six if I keep up my amount of weekly cheese consumption. But that's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is Armor, their latest release, the follow-up to My Prairie Home, which not only an album, also documentary about them, also insanely personal, also something I could never imagine myself going through and then trying to follow up. And so we talk about that, what it's like to go from something intensely personal to your next album. How, how do you follow up an album where you sort of laid all your cards on the table for everyone to see? That's something that I don't think a lot of artists could ever see themselves doing because it is so insanely personal. Then we get into physically actually making the album, what sort of equipment used, I nerd out. You guys probably don't find that super interesting. I do, so I'm going to keep asking these questions. And then finally, we get probably our most interesting answer to our PG or PC question yet. Uh, It's a good one. Uh, It definitely left me in stitches at the end. Uh, Episode 25, Ray Spoon. I think you guys are going to enjoy this one.
I think one of the interesting things uh, I would love if you could just uh, tell us a little bit about what it's like going from doing a project like My Prairie Home, which seemed to be like sort of, it was in multiple mediums. It seemed like you were putting yourself so out there. What is it like after that to come back and go, okay, now the follow-up album to that? Because it seems like that was so monumental. And then well, yeah, how, do you, how do you start following that up? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I just wanted to get back to the basics of like, I'm just like, I'm going to write some songs and then I'm going to record them. Um, and yeah, and I kind of, I had the goal of, it was the first album I produced like by myself, like all my other albums are co-produced. And yeah, I just kind of started with the idea of making something sonically really different because I think sometimes artists can get trapped in like making their follow-up album more of the same and that's, I don't know, because that can be hard to do, you know, to like make something similar and as good or whatever. So, yeah, so I just bought a bunch of analog synths and <laughs> I tried to work more with hardware than I had before and, and started there. Yeah. Now, was there ever, I, I feel like this is something that comes up a lot, uh, sort of like bands who get famous or, you, you know, they, they have an established sound. And then in 2016, when the sort of the feedback loop between fan and artist is so, so close now. It, was there ever a fear of like, if I don't do this, like, fan, it, like if I don't sound exactly like the last record, fans are going to be angry? Or is, is, that, is that something that weighs on you when you're creating? Um, no. <laughs> since I, you know, since I went from like bluegrass and banjo to more indie rock and, you know, electronic. Like, I think I know the elements I need to keep. Mm -hmm. Maybe if my voice wasn't on a record, that would make people angry. I, I like to keep a song structure. Like, I would be very vocal about the fact if I was doing like a dance remix album that didn't have like that same song structure. So, like, I kind of keep that folk country like verse chorus song structure whatever i'm doing so i thought you know as long as i stick to that it should be okay i had already kind of weeded out the angries in the first time i <laughs> went back so, yeah. and it wasn't that many people yeah chest. as it turns out people who listen to trans country music are fairly open-minded so <laughs> it was fine <laughs> Because there's a three-year gap between My Prairie Home and Armor, Armour, I'll keep calling it. Um, <laughs> Armour. <laughs> um, but, uh, like, was the writing process throughout that whole three years? Like, is it, or was it before that, or was it? Yeah, um, I think I was writing throughout the three years. I had a different album plan that had more, like, physical drums before I decided to go back to more electronic stuff. So I basically wrote, like, almost an album and then threw took half the songs off and <laughs> and reworked the songs you know um just because like with the whole like i play to my iphone on stage thing it feels a bit weird yeah. to play to a drum kit coming out of it like i can do it here and there you know you can get away with it but i think i didn't want to make that my full-time deal like i wanted the sound of my prairie home but it was hard for me to like have that much you know cello and trumpet around so mm -hmm. so i thought you know i need another and so i kept playing my album before my Prairie Home like at the end of my sets to kind of like build up and so I ended up playing I Can't Keep All, our, all of Our Secrets like a lot so I've been playing that album for like five years just to like you know and have that build up and the dance so I thought it would be good to make I was like I need more fast loud stuff um, so, which you know I think if you play a lot of live shows that does inform your albums you know you're like I can I imagine playing this on stage and you know people's attention spans are can be short and like you know I don't know I, I lived through the like you know try to get a following touring Canada playing to three people and you know driving eight hours and like people screaming over you and you know so I still have that in the back of my mind like how is this going to play live and so 
Yeah, so it's nice to have like a mix because sometimes if I'm too full on that way, you know, it's like a house concert and I'm having like a disco on stage. Like it's nice to have stuff that if you turn it down, it, there's still a song and, yeah. and, you know, you can have the guitar and vocal higher in the mix. But yeah, definitely there's like these 2 a.m. shows where I get like put on stage and, and I like having that, you know. So I was kind of going for an emotion, like emotional electronic music. Yeah. And I listened to like Annie Lennox because yeah. I was like, Annie Lennox is really emotional. And then all the mu- like the music lots of it is very electronic that she has mm-hmm. going on with her so I was like where's where's the emotion coming from you know so in each track like how's she building that because I think it can be hard to make emotional fully like elect, you know synthesized music yeah it's definitely doable but I was really interested in that element of how you do it yeah I feel like a armor sort of falls in that same category of like Annie Lennox or even uh like the knife's silent shout like that yeah. sort of like there is this entry point of the vocals, but also mm-hmm. like there's a lot of interesting elements going around it. it uh, how did you start building that up? Was it, I got to assume from a more bluegrass background that you, you start with like good lyrics first, or do you start with like chord changes? Like what, how, what's your process for making a song? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm at the point where I have enough records that I actually have to start with the chords and make sure I'm not using the same intervals that I always use. <laughs> that sounds you know? familiar. Wait a minute. So, yeah. I mean, I think that was my eighth album or something. So, And then you do like get up using the same interval and trying to like make melodies that aren't exactly the same. And so and so, I'm, I was trying to kind of push the chords but keep the melodies kind of poppy, and that could be, you know, interesting. So, like, how do you do that? I don't know. I think Willie Nelson does it really well. He does, like, jazz chords, and then he has these, like, pop melodies. And yeah. like, so just kind of starting. But, yeah, I did a lot. I, I do write on the guitar, and I write on Ableton doing using loops and, and just, like, trying, like, even just key lines, like, for the root notes and stuff. Oh, yeah. Try. Yeah, and then I'll write. I usually write things, and then I kind of throw them away, and then whatever I remember, I think, is, like, good. <laughs> will be the chorus. Like, if I don't remember it, it's not, like you know memorable enough or catchy enough right mm-hmm. so that's usually how i write uh like a lot of choruses and stuff like that so yeah so it's just like a really weird like me alone with synthesizers and a guitar like you know and i was scared i've never like had the final you know i never produced by myself so i had to be like yes or no and then i like pushed my deadlines around because i decided oh i want to go on tour now because i i was like i need to just tour so i pushed it so that like the day it was mastered, I sent it to my publicist. And, like, everything was just, like, really fast all in a row. So it was, like, studio to finish it up and then mixing the next day. And then, like, yeah, 10 studio days mastered and then to the publicist and, like, out. <laughs> like, so, which was, I don't know. I mean, I think, like, a lot of people talk about that moment where you're, if you leave too much time, I think it's good to have time for mixing. I definitely won't do that again, mm-hmm. especially for Ken. Like, sorry, Ken. Uh, he was like, what are you doing? Um it's also good to just like hammer through and be like, this is how many days I have, you know, whatever I make is good enough. And, you know, you just like push yourself with terror <laughs> through the process. And, yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, you're bound to encounter some sort of struggles and things like that when you're doing your own self-producing and right. as opposed to working with uh, anyone in the studio. Mm-hmm. So it's natural to just have those kind of emotions and feelings. Yeah, for sure. I had all the emotions. Worries. You know, you have yeah. that like this sucks or whatever. You know, then this is like, just yeah. like shut up to yourself. <laughs> like I was like too bad. Or... It's this whatever. You know, yeah. like I didn't know how it would be received. You know, because I have done electronic albums before, so I thought maybe you know I don't know. I didn't know how people. You never know how people are going to connect. And I hadn't played a lot of the songs on stage, so that was that too like a lot of the other albums i'd been playing live and like tweaking the tracks for years so this was just kind of like 
you know. And so what's that like to bring up uh, more, I, I guess, you know, how do you translate that to stage? Is it using Ableton? Like how many of those backing tracks when you're writing, do you think, okay, these backing tracks have to be like this on stage? Like, is that, is that something that enters into your mind when you're writing? Oh, no. I don't know, because I have, like, stems so I can mix it again for stage, which is nice. Like, I usually keep our mixes, but obviously I'll pull out guitars and, like, turn down if I have back vocals. Maybe a little bit of a texture, but you don't want to have your own voice, like, super obviously over your whole show. Like, that no. kind of takes away from the, um, yeah, the feeling it, um it's hard because until you mix your tracks, they don't really sound stage worthy sometimes. So it's hard to imagine how they will turn out. And, and then I did work with like a bass player and a drummer. So like, but they were playing to the electronic stuff, which is kind of funny. Like usually it should be the other way around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, so they were really cool and there's a lot going on already and came in with a lot of tracks. So, you know, even just like delayed a bass line that has delay, that's kind of slapping. And this is a lot of, uh, trying to bring in a lot of organic elements and, usually try to get a bass player to play like the bass synth although apparently some of, or some of what i did was good enough and we kept <laughs> but like i let him say if it was good enough you know if there was like enough moving notes like i think that's not really how i play music i'm not a bass player so yeah i'm not a drummer so i'm actually not very rhythmic at all like i don't but i really like playing to the rhythms and you know mm. so yeah and so what's that like um bringing in electronic elements i, I feel like these days so many people can get sort of overwhelmed with like choice like oh i can have you know the entire history of synths modeled on my computer which one will i ever choose i don't know Mm -hmm. um like how do you start narrowing down sounds that will be appropriate for the ray spoon uh sound yeah i think i was i was trying to stick to a lot of analog ones first because in the past i have used a lot of just like whatever i was digging up or making in ableton and definitely like tweaking stuff and um yeah so actually the drum sounds uh the electronic drum sounds i my friend alexander de Kupingi in Ber- uh who lives in berlin um he's the one who taught me how to use ableton when i was living there um he played a lot of the track stuff you know beforehand so it was a uh, he did a lot of the rhythmic stuff like i had sketches and we kind of kept some of mine and passed it back and forth so it was really cool he just spent like a week he went to this very strange zone in his apartment and just like he played things that i was like what the the hell like, you know and he's like i don't even know what happened like anyway so he's coming to canada for the first time in uh july to come teach like an ableton camp with me oh, no out way. of the mountains in bc and yeah yeah i'm putting out a cassette on of him on my label because he goes by plastic so yeah and he's just like very much uh yeah he grew up in germany like the electronic tradition you know like yeah. so yeah it's really interesting to have him and then work with like a bass player and drummer and then and i kind of bring in all the melodic like the synths and the higher synths and vocals and guitars and stuff and sort of glued yeah. all together yeah and i kind of i worked on guitar tone like i usually just use strat on everything before so i was like you need to stop putting strat on so i got an sg at home and like tried to at least use that for rhythm stuff and yeah so i was thinking more like a producer than like a strat player hopefully <laughs> it's like strat strat um yeah what do you put what do you use when you play live yeah, I usually use a Strat Live. Yeah. It's nice. It cuts through like all those tracks, right? Yeah, if yeah. I'm playing a solo or whatever. Um, and my voice is pretty um, clear. Like it'll cut through tracks too. So it's nice to have these the two elements that are live to just have them be pretty present. Uh, we've spoken to some people who um, they enjoy having sort of an external, like someone else being the producer and saying, look, this is that, that take was good enough. 
we're moving on. We got to like we've got uh, time. what's it like moving into just you're the producer and you're the one who's, you know, the source of all the music, but also the one who has to decide, is this good enough? Is this like it seems like those two things shouldn't be in the same person. But like, what's it like trying to manage both those expectations? Yeah, I mean, I think mostly like vocals is the hardest because you do need people to listen to it and tell you if they can understand what you're saying. Like, obviously, you, you know the trick. You turn down the volume and see if you can understand the lyrics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, But, um, you know, vocals are such a personal instrument, so... Which I, I usually end up doing them at home because I'm, like, more shy. I mean, there's records, like, Secrets, like, like the album Before My Prairie Home. I don't remember this, but apparently I just walked into the studio and sang the whole thing in, like, two or three hours or something. But I had been playing it a lot live, so, you know... I, when I went in, when I was singing this new album, I was like, "Oh, it's actually really hard to sing a lot of it because I made it in loops, so oh, the breathing yeah. spaces aren't like." <laughs> and so when I first tried to record, I was like, "I got this." And then when I started to record it at home, I was like, "Oh shit!" So I've actually become a better singer just by having to. So now I have it. Like I can do the whole album without like losing my voice. And but yeah, it was definitely like a thing where I was like, "Oh shit!" Anyway, can I swear on this podcast? Oh, oh yeah, fuck we yeah. We don't have sponsors yet. No, no, no. That's, this is one of the duty things about the podcast. <laughs> be yourself. Yeah, so... Yeah, I don't know. I, I always try to push myself and write things that are harder than I can play. Just, I don't know. Because I get bored really easily. Yeah. So... I'll probably regret that when I'm older and I want to be able to sing everything. <laughs> be like, all right. So cool to sort of be like, okay, uh, like in 10, in 15, in 20 years, am I going to be able to come back and like play something off of armor? Like that, something I wouldn't even think of just sort of in small scale and just like this is the album, but you also got to think this is, this is going right. to be part of the repertoire for a while. Like if people yeah. really love this, if your, you know, sweet child of mine is on this record, you got to be able to. It's like <laughs> jumping Jack Flash. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. They must just lean on their backup singers. Like, you know, <laughs> they're like up holding it up and you're like that was the case when i saw van morrison live recently it was right. just sort of uh you know everything's been put down into a slower jazzier sort of theme and like yeah. there's a lot of backup singers sort of doing all the heavy right. lifting but then there's someone like i'm trying to think well dolly parton she can still sing everything yeah and that's just like she has i think maybe i might be like her this is why i decided i think i'll be like her when i'm older because <laughs> i sing it's like you sing all the time and then you're used to using that range and then you have that kind of voice right like her no. tone is a little different, but yeah, it seems like she's still, I think she just sings a lot. So I think if you sing a lot, your voice, you know, you don't lose as much range, hopefully. Yeah. Or you could be like uh, my main man, Peter Gabriel, and then just realize that your voice is better with age and becomes raspier and more interesting. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh, yes. Thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when you're writing this was there any concern about any backlash about using more electronic instruments? Was there? Did that enter your mind, or is it just this was something that I want to do? I want to explore this realm. Yeah, I think I I kind of figured out there's like some people who like both like the My Prairie Home vibe and the the, the electronic kind of vibe or indie rock vibe, and then some people like one or the other. So yeah. as long as I just keep kind of varying it back and forth, you know, because like actually there was a lot less, even on Love as a Hunter and Superior, there were like acoustic guitar songs. You know, at some points there was, there were things that seemed more like folk, right? So I think having those elements, like now I'm turning to like, okay, I need to play with like organic instruments and a drum kit again. You know, like I just kind of go back and forth because 
Yeah, because I like that crossover thing where I can play at a bar at 3 a.m. And, like, you know, they have a smoke machine and it's, like, loud. And then I can play <laughs> at, like, Sunday morning, you know, sometimes with tracks, sometimes without. But I think, you know, the songs existing on their own, they don't need all that stuff to be a song. It's important. So, yeah. After doing something like My Prairie Home, it was, was it tough to find new material to write about? Was that ever... Because My Prairie Home seems so personal in, in like an extreme degree that I don't think any artist really, when they're starting off, is thinks, I'm going to do something like this. Uh, is it tough to sort of then afterwards be like, okay, what do I write about now? Um, yeah, I was kind of worried about it because I did actually have... Because it took so long to finish. Like I was recording My Prairie Home before... I can't keep all of our secrets like I started writing it and it took like five years <laughs> when it finally came out I was like oh I haven't really been having to write for a long time um, but then you know since I started writing songs I played guitar when I was 12 started writing songs then that's actually like more it's I'm more used to just writing things that are a bit less uh, specific mm-hmm. like it might have been harder to write like the musical of my childhood that's not something I ever expected to do or to write a book about it or anything like that so that was actually like that's harder because it was it's harder to connect with other people when you're being that specific. It's mm-hmm. more challenging. But I think, I don't know, with Armor, it does seem like it got a good reception. I think people are connecting with it, but in a more like it, their stories, like in it kind of way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I, I think I just realized, oh, this is what I started out doing and why I play music. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, songwriting, I haven't really ever had writers block like too badly at any point. So. Wow. Maybe I'll have it now. Not all that I said that. <laughs> but yeah. That's wood. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> That'll be when you bring back all those songs you threw out. And we're like, oh, you know what? They're pretty good now. They're, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, take a look at those. I am going to do that. They're just too folksy, you know? Like, you can't have, like. <laughs> so, one thing that I always like to nerd out about, and uh, I'm not even sure if people who listen to the podcast enjoy this, but. Can you just go into some some of the hardware that you used on this album? Yeah. Okay, let's see. I have an MS-20, like one of those mini ones, the new Korg. And that was really cool to use. It's so, like, really can go out of tune. And and I was using, like, lots of little, like, you go online and you look at the preset patches. But, like, you have to do the preset yourself. And so, yeah, so I'd start with those and then just move away from them. Um, and then I have like a micro brute, which makes a lot of those kind of, yeah. Yeah. They sound like toys. Yeah. I don't know. You can get some really low stuff out of them, but mm-hmm. yeah. But mostly I use it just for that like kind of sound. Um, yeah. And I have a Moog mini tour. So I did a bunch of stuff on that too, which they have presets like you, you know, can USB it into your computer and use like presets and then tweak it from there. So it's kind of cool because it actually like jumps you between sounds that you would never imagine you could make if you're just tweaking the knobs, yeah. right? So, yeah, so those are the synths I use. And then I'm not sure what else we use for synths for bass, uh, some other stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and guitars, like I just use a Strat and a SG. I think my vocals, most of the, yeah, they were all the U87, like the old Neumann U87. Yeah. And yeah, I use it like Universal Audio tube uh com- preamp compressor i'm not really mm-hmm. sure which number that is um yeah and i took all that into the studio and then alex used like ableton stuff push and a lot of drum samples i think he mostly uses like in computer samples mm-hmm. and then yeah we ran a lot of that stuff through the speakers in the room with uh i think it was a pair of ribbon mics we used for like room mics with, okay. with the cloud lifters on them so that was kind of the first step is getting like room sounds of all the synth drums yeah. and and uh synth keys and stuff like that just to yeah 
And, uh, yeah, I think we reamped a bunch of stuff through. Was it a little harmony or maybe just like a fender amp? And, and then we had a drum kit in there and percussion, like hand, like, you know, shakers and tambourines and stuff. And I think in the end I did, we needed more synth lines. So I went in home that night and used like, you know, presets from Ableton. Oh, yeah. Filled them in. Yeah. So that's like when I do that. I was like in the studio, I need to go back and actually like find something. <laughs> But I don't think those were even the Arturia ones. I think they were from somewhere else. I don't really remember. But uh, yeah, that's where those kind of like can't, more can't sounds. Yeah. <laughs> more like uh, 90s synths come from. <laughs> 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 I'm trying to remember what else we put on. Oh yeah, cello. I recorded the cello in Montreal when I was starting the album and making the other. Like I made like a demo. Like I had a factory grant for a demo, so I recorded different songs with that. So that's where the cello came from. And yeah. Cool. I think that's all the hardware. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I've found interesting with artists who are very established and sort of, this is what they do. How do you carve out time and this is just going to be your creative time? Like how, it seems, it seems to almost be an oxymoron to be professionally creative. Like is that, does that not fill you with so much dread to be like, these are the days I need to create? Yeah, a little bit. Mostly I only write music in the morning. So if I don't write it by noon, like, it's not going to happen. So I, I usually, like, carve out mornings, right? Like, it's like, I'm going to go to home for, like, I think for two months I'm going to sit there. Like, my spouse is going to law school in September, so I'm going to go there, and my job's just, like, making dinner. Oh, yeah. And so <laughs> I'll probably spend those mornings. I think I, I'm going to, I mean, writing songs is easier. It's fun. But, like, I might write a book as well at the same time. So that's not fun at all. Writing books is horrible, <laughs> but it, but rewarding, you know, you can like, it's a lot more words and you can kind of communicate, not larger ideas, but more, yeah, it's totally different. So I'm trying to write like an album and a book that go together. So I'll be kind of like the same, like my Prairie Home is a bit like that, but yeah, something that kind of links together like that. So that's what I'll be doing. I, I feel more worried about the book than the album. <laughs> just because music is fun and like I've talked to lots of writers and I'm like I'm not really a writer and they're like why I'm like because I hate it like I you know when I try to write like you know it's like anybody who's if anyone's ever had to sit at a laptop and write anything mm-hmm. you just feel like you're getting stabbed in the head it's awful so until you get going and then but apparently everybody does that so it's that you know. in this space that you know that cliche on every sitcom about a writer it's just like chapter one and then yeah exactly <laughs> it's super hard so but yeah I think with that you have to shut off your internet. I guess it's like your hands aren't as busy when you're writing books. Yeah. Like you can go on the internet, but like if you're actually using Ableton, you don't really have a lot of like, yeah. you know, it feels like an interruption more than reading back and forth. So yeah, we'll see what happens there, but I think it'll happen. I've done it before. I definitely am not going to like write a book. I'm not going to sign any book contracts till it's done. Cause last time I wrote a book, I did part of it on tour and that was like, Oh. Really hell! <laughs> I was finishing this book, Gender Failure, on tour. And I, was, I was really mad. I was about gender, and I was like, "Don't sound bitter," um, you know. Just like <laughs> so, yeah. But I think I think I can carve it out because I, I find it really fun, and you know. But then there's like writing grants and stuff like that. So I do a lot of grant writing for myself and other people. And the label, yeah. That has been. Uh, I've done a few grant applications. Like, oh, I've got 25 pages due in two weeks you know and it's that same thing where it's like okay i'll just check facebook for a little bit oh there's a new article on pitchfork i'll just read that and then i'll get back to it (laughs) yeah uh oh crap it's it's like 24 hours away yeah exactly yeah yeah so i just break things into chunks right now i'm writing a giant grant 
but I just write one part of it a day. And I even like, I was supposed to do two today and I only did one and a half and I just <laughs> chucked it. So I go back and I look at the grant that I got from the Canadian Arts Council and just read the the pages that I wrote for it. And you can tell, I'm not sure if they were able to tell, but looking back on it, I can tell I was terrified because it was like 12 the day that it, like midnight the day <laughs> it was due. I'm just like, and then I'll do this, and then I'll do this, and everybody will love it. And you, <laughs> as long as it's like a solid idea, though, and they think you can pull it off, then you know. But I've definitely watched. I've watched people do that. But then I was trying not to be like I did mine a week ago, you know. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, don't listen to me. I don't drink. I'm boring. Like I have nothing else to do. Like <laughs> so I have so much time. Uh, did you want to talk a little bit about uh, Coke's records? Yeah. Cokes. I heard one interviewer call it Coax. Is it? It's Cokes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Coaxing people Armor, to Armour, still buy Coles, music. Coax. <laughs> Coax. Coax is good though. Um, yeah, I, my records were be, were being put out by a Calgary label called Saved by Radio and Saved by Vinyl. Uh, Dawn Locks, she's awesome. And then she kind of was slowing down and thinking of not putting out as many records. And so I kind of took the opportunity to jump in ask outside distribution if they distribute like my new label and manage to get a site up and yeah so I kind of just wanted to move my catalog somewhere mm-hmm. and I thought this is like the last move I'm just going to keep it all together so now they're all the records are kind of there and um, yeah and then I just started releasing like friends records like Jeff Burner uh, had a record come out and um, Concealer from Edmonton they're a really cool band uh, yeah and so just people I've known for years and it's been really interesting, for sure. Lol, I've known them for years too, and friends of the show. I think yeah. you get to call them that once. You'll be a friend of the show once, right on. once you're on yeah. here. Right? <laughs> and the band ESL from Vancouver. They had a bunch of. They recorded out there, and yeah. So it's just been kind of like, and then some people's cassettes all sell on on the site and stuff too. So, yeah. It's funny how cassettes are making a comeback now. Yeah, I was asking people why they were buying them last night in Kingston, and they're like, "Because it's the cheapest thing." Like, do you have a cassette player? They're like, "No." Yeah, that's the that's the reason I laugh about it because most people don't have cassette players these days. I bought one because I was like, I can't have a label with a cassettes. I have to be able to listen to them. Yeah, you know, like to see if it's like okay. So I got one, but it's like it just has one speaker on it. So I'm like, so much for stereo. I, I've looked into it before, and like the biggest cassette manufacturer in North America is like a Christian books manu, like a Christian. Oh, really? Like audiobooks kind of? Are they Christians? No. I must be someone else. Eh? It, I forget because it's like sort of. Yeah. You can link right to their just cassette manufacturing, yeah. but if you go and it, like the expanded site, it's like. Uh, you'll see in like fine print, they'll say, oh, okay, we review everything that you put out for content. If we don't feel like it falls within our religious principles, then you uh, <laughs> will politely decline. And it's like, I, I can't believe this is like the biggest last bastion of cassette production. Well, must have been doing sermons, wow. right? Like yeah. Yeah. cassettes. And so just kept the Bible audio book. There is like, I think duplication.ca, I don't think they're. I don't think they're Christians. Oh, no, this is in the States. Because they're out of Montreal and Toronto. I think it's Montreal they're out of, so that's what we were using, and that was that's fine. Yeah. Since one of my songs is called The Beast Is Me, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? They might have thought it was like a musical, and that was just like the devil's showcase song. <laughs> I remember uh, growing up, I had a friend who lived on a street. His number was uh, 665, and he, we always said that he lived next to The Beast, and we yeah. were all kind of wary because we all went to Catholic school of 666. Like, yeah. we choose to live there. And then, 
Mm. Uh, but they they tried to like mitigate it by like spelling it out six 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 and like those really fancy like oh, yeah. Yeah. writing ones. <laughs> like, oh, you'll forget that it's <laughs> still the same thing. <laughs> it's kind of awesome though. And so, uh, what's it like a uh, releasing stu- or like releasing stuff under a label? Like, do you, how uh, are you? Do you meddle in the people who is? On, on their releases, like, are you? Do you say this doesn't fit with what we're doing? Like, um, have you become the stereotypical like uh, no. guy on that HBO show vinyl? No, because like they're just like my friends, and all I want is for them to have like distribution, and that helps them with their grants, and like, or what, somewhere where people can buy their stuff like mail order, just because like I can kind of keep that going. It's really hard to do that for yourself if you're on the road and stuff. And yeah, I don't really meddle in the creative. If there was anything like political I felt didn't fit, I would definitely like weigh in on that. Like. If there was anything happening with one band, I thought would like offend another band. It's actually a really diverse group of people, so I'm like within that group. Yeah. If anybody would be offended by anything else, like you know. But um, but yeah, I don't. I mean, I I'm really into like artists owning their own masters, and like it's more like I'm licensing it from them. I think it's important they own their own masters and their own, you know, like royalties and so can and publishing and all that. Because you know, at the end of the day, we're all just going to be like kind of sitting with our own catalogs, right? So. Yeah. So I think it's much easier, and I've always held on to my own rights, my own masters, and publishing and stuff like that too. So, so yeah. How did you become so popular and still hold on to the rights to all your masters? That seems um, crazy. I don't know. I think like <laughs> basically like I was lucky enough to be trans, so like <laughs> it made me like record labels didn't want to work with me, so <laughs> they kind of left me alone, which is like really awesome. So for me, that's really awesome. I had to learn how to do it on my own, and that turned out to be what everyone has to do now. So (laughs) lucky me. (laughs) Yeah, so. Because, like, we'll talk. uh, Last week we talked to Irrational Youth, who have been around since the 80s, and they said, like, Oh, you know, they, they, like, they baked our masters the other day. Or, like, no, not even that. They lost our masters. Like, we're, we're trying to get a repressing of something, but, like, we're not sure where the original takes of it are. Like, yeah. that blows, you know, looking back on it from, like, a 2016 perspective, that blows my mind to just be like, oh, there's not, that's not on the C drive? That's not... <laughs> no, there's no C drives. It's true. Because it would just be, like, somewhere on maybe a tape or... Yeah, where like they paid somebody to come in and sort of archive it, and then yeah. you know maybe they switch buildings or something like that, and then that music's just gone. You know, they didn't have like a Prince vault to you know right. put in all their music. <laughs> it's hard to, to store all that stuff. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you're like, it's in 16-bit, and that's the best you're ever gonna get. <laughs> you're never gonna be able to get like that sneeze out of the track or something like that. That's yeah. that, that's, that's, that's just there, there for good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's there for people like me to like ponder over. Why did they include that sneeze? Why didn't that yeah, make totally. that a little lower? Uh, <laughs> any more questions? No, I don't have that. I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> no, won't lie. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so we have a question that we ask every artist who comes on here, and it is becoming, as we talk to bigger and bigger artists is becoming more and more shameful the way that it has been ingrained into uh, the podcast but we do uh, depending on who you ask I suppose uh, right? yeah it's, it's tough when you ask one of the members of the band uh, but yeah <laughs> and it's sort of our way of seeing what sort of artist you are and that is which former frontman of Genesis had more of an influence on you creatively, Peter Gabriel or Phil Collins? 
That's easy to say because I was raised in a Christian cult, so neither. Like, I didn't even know what Genesis was till I was like 25. Oh no, I think maybe my neighbors that lived in the duplex in Calgary, they listened to Nazareth and Genesis, maybe both. But maybe it was Nazareth. I don't know. One of them had a breathalyzer to start his truck, so we would go and hang out with them when we were teenagers. <laughs> and I, I think, actually, that might have been Nazareth. So I think Nazareth actually influenced me more than Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> That's the yeah. first. Yeah. That is the first. But I'm like, you know, I'll hear a song and I'm like, this is tuneful. And then someone's like, it's the Beatles. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> so there you go. Clean slate. So you just don't have that. I don't have it. No. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of weird. So yeah. that sort of thing that everybody gets through cultural osmosis. Like, yeah. Just no, not at all. Not like, sure. I don't remember any like felt any like anything like that when I was a kid. So not even the Tarzan even soundtrack, which is what the what soundtrack? The Tarzan soundtrack. Just what most people list when they say um, they like no. yeah. songs. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. tonight. <laughs> nope. <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> You're gonna need a new question soon, really. <laughs> you wanna talk about Christian rap, then I'm all over that shit. DC talk? Sweet. <laughs> oh god. That was a Maybe I had to watch people destroy music to learn how to make music. Yeah, maybe. You know? I was like, wait a second, this shit is terrible. <laughs> You're like, oh, Aerosmith is so edgy. <laughs> oh, dear. Right. That explains everything, right? Yeah. They're walking this way. They're talking this way. It's crazy. <laughs> um. Mrs. Doubtfire. Whoa. Gender changing. <laughs> Dude looks like a lady. That's still my theme song. <laughs> I still sing that to myself when things happen to me. Oh, that's awesome. That's really funny.
Oh, just a little more podcast for you before you go. Uh, hey guys, it's me, Riley. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, just one last thing before we go. This is what soulless marketing types call a call to action where an I, the host, editor, producer, uh, talent booker, I guess, I don't know, uh, of the show, implore you, someone who just enjoyed this for free. You didn't do anything for it. You might not have enjoyed it. To share the podcast with people if you like it, or rate us on iTunes, or do something. Every little bit helps us immensely. We have a Twitter now. I'm putting up Spotify playlists. This is not a Rumpelstiltskinian request for your firstborn child. Just, just, just share it. Just, just tell somebody who likes music about it. You know, just tell Genesis Fee and he. I got a, I got a, I got a great podcast for you. It's, it's got two guys, two guys who just, who just talk. Oh, oh, they're fantastic. Ah, uh, yeah, do that. Okay, these gotta get better.